but I think we'll, we'll hold off for about two more Sundays, and I'd like to kind of start working through the book of Joshua on a Sunday night, if you guys are on with that. I love the book of Joshua, a lot of good stuff in it, but as I was studying this afternoon, I have a sermon that, honestly, I'm not going to get all the way through it tonight, so I'm intentionally going to cut it off halfway. I don't know how long it'll be. We may be here 10 minutes. We may be here 50 minutes. But we're going to get through a certain point, and we're going to stop because the rest of the sermon is a lot longer, and we'd never get through all of it tonight. How's that? So if we cut it in half, we do half tonight, half next Sunday, and then the following Sunday we'll start in the book of Joshua on, uh, on a Sunday night. But go to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to just read verse 48 through 50 to kind of get us started. And we'll look at a couple of things, really only one point with, with several sub-points under it. But it starts in 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. It says, So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it, and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into the forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Let us pray tonight. Father God, as we bow before you, Lord, we want to thank you again for your word and for the truth that we find in it. We want to thank you, God, that you uh, have blessed us with this, to be able to read it and to draw strength from God, to be encouraged by it. God, that as we read these real-life accounts of people, men and women, God, that have come before us, and God, how they've exercised their faith in you, and God, how you have shown up in their lives, and Lord, how we can read these things today, God, and, and draw strength from them, knowing that this, you're the same God now that you were then. And, God, that you fight for your people and you are there for us, God. You're a refuge and a, a fortress when we're in times of trouble. And, God, you can help us to defeat the Goliaths that are in our lives. And so, Lord, tonight I pray as we study that, Lord, if there's somebody in here tonight who has something that is before them. And, God, it, it seems too big to go around and, God, there's too big to go over. And it just seems like this huge giant that's right in front of them. God, we've all had them. Lord, I pray that they would find the strength tonight in your word of knowing that you can defeat those giants in their lives. God, you can help them to prevail over those things. And God, you can help them get through those things. And we just want to pray, God, that your word, uh, Lord, that we just find strength in it. And we pray tonight, Lord, that you'll bless the reading of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight... Um, the title that I gave this sermon is When Our Faith is Bigger Than Our Fears. When Our Faith is Bigger Than Our Fears. Now, we see the faith of, of David here, and we talked about this. And, and no, I'm not going to go back and read you 1 Samuel 17. There's a lot of reading there, and I know you know the story. Uh, just to kind of summarize it real quick, like because I, I, I don't want to go back and waste your time, or the time that we have tonight. But what's going on here is you know that David... He comes out to the battlefield. The, the, the scripture kind of gives us an idea in there in the beginning of chapter 17 and verse 2. It says that Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. So they're getting ready to go into battle. 
But here it tells us in verse 3 that the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And what often would happen is, and this is kind of what Goliath is doing here, oftentimes they would take uh, one of their best warriors from one side, uh, one of the best warriors from the other side, and they'd go down and meet in the valley and they'd battle it out. And whoever won, the other side got the victory. Well, they send out Goliath. The Bible tells us that Goliath here, it says he was a champion in verse 4. He went out from the camp of the Philistines. He was from Gath. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of, of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had, a bronze. he had bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin between his shoulders, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. He was a big guy. Here this guy is standing out on the battlefield, and he's just taunting the nation of Israel is what he's doing. I mean, he's calling them names. He's belittling them. He's talking about their mamas. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he's doing that or not, but, he's, but he was doing all kinds of stuff, and he was just, man, he was just ragging them big time, kind of like, send me down somebody. Let's fight. Let's get it going. And he'd done this for many, many days. Well, we know that the Scripture tells us that David's dad, uh, Jesse, he had a couple of sons. David had older brothers that were there. Matter of fact, verse 13 tells us it says, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went to battle were Eli, uh, the firstborn son to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. Uh, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But now Jesse had took David and sent him down there. And, and between tending the sheep and the other things that he had going on, and he was even in kind of service to Saul at this point, well, Jesse sends him down there and says, go see how it's going. Check on, check on your brothers. Come back and give me a report. Well, David shows up down there, and here's what he comes up on. He walks up, and, you know, you, you could just imagine the scene if you can. All the, the army of Israel gathered there. They're looking down in the valley at this Goliath, and they're scared to death. Goliath's down there running his mouth. He's not scared of anybody. He's the biggest guy there. He trumped over everybody. So he had nothing to be fearful of. He's, he's, he's hollering out. And it says uh, in verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him the daughter and, gave, and give his father's house exemption from the taxes in Israel. So we go on down. David shows up. He sees this. He's appalled. He can't believe that the, the army of Israel is just standing around doing nothing. Like, what are you guys doing, you know? And it says here, I don't have brothers or sisters, so I don't really know what this is like, but if you've got brothers and sisters, you can kind of relate to what's about to happen here especially if you have older brothers and sisters, because it tells us in verse 28, Now Elib, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, talking about David, it says, uh, And Elib's anger was aroused against David, and he says, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Basically what the older brothers were saying to the little brother is go home. You're in the way. We don't need you here. 
You're, you're prideful. You're arrogant. You know, who do you think you are? Anybody got older brothers that treat them that way? Okay, we got one back there. So, so it happens, okay? Uh, older brothers and sisters sometimes want to shoo off the younger brothers and sisters. But here's what David said. He said, what have I done now? Now, I like the statement that he says here, and this, this statement will preach, okay? He said, is there not a cause? See, these other guys were afraid and said, we, we can't go fight this guy. But David, he's going, isn't there a cause here? Is there not a cause? In other words, there's a guy standing out there, and he's not only running his mouth about all of us, he's putting down our God. I mean, he's defiling the God of all gods. I mean, he is the God, and he's running his mouth. He's our God. And he's putting him down. He's mocking us. If, if for no other reason, somebody needs to stand up. And that's what David saw. But it says here in verse 31, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart be, uh, fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and a man of war from his youth. Um, he, um, excuse me, he is a man of war from his youth. So in other words, he's saying this guy's been fighting since he was a youth, and you're only a youth. There's no way. It will be ugly. It will be the worst train wreck we've ever seen if you go out there and try to fight this guy. So as we look here tonight at, at the, uh, the faith of David, and we're going to kind of maybe look at a few more verses before we actually get into the message as we, as we see this taking place here, let's jump back over here to verse 50 for just a second, and then we'll kind of visit back a little bit before we get done tonight. So we see the faith of David. We remember verse 50 that we read a while ago to kind of get us started. It says, and we're kind of getting, and verse 50 is kind of after the fact, okay? It says that he prevailed over the Philistine with nothing more than a sling and a stone. He killed him but there was no sword in his hand. Now, we just read Goliath a while ago. He, he had sword, spear, an armor bearer. He had it all. He had, the, he had the armor. David has nothing but a slingshot. That's all he has. And so we got to ask the question here to kind of get us started tonight. What did David have faith in? Did he have faith in a slingshot? Although we know that he was probably pretty good at it because he defended and, and protected the sheep from bears and lions, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Uh, was there, was, was those Remington-style rocks that he picked up, or, or you know, or, or, you know, what were, I don't think so. I don't think they were hollow point rocks. I think they were just rocks, you know. So I don't think he had faith in his rocks or his stones. Um, I don't even think he had faith in the army standing behind him. He probably, no more than they were doing, you know, he probably wasn't thinking, well, if I die here, at least they'll storm the valley and, and you know, and defend me here or avenge my death, I don't think he had faith in them either. I believe what he did have faith in was God. He had faith in his God. He knew what God was capable of. And, and this means something tonight. And I know this is a, a message you've heard probably a thousand times, and so have I. But I have to be reminded quite regular that nothing's bigger than my God especially with what's going on in the world right now. Because I, I, I got news for you. If I, watch the, if I watch television long enough and tune into the news, it, it starts working me up just a little bit. You know, I get a little worked up. 
I get a little agitated. I even get a little fearful. I get angry. You know, I mean, I just get all of these things, and I just have to turn it off and go, you know what? Can't watch that, you know, because I'm getting, I'm getting all worked up. And, and then I start, you know, just wondering, what in the world? Especially, I've got one grown son who's married. I've got a, a, a 23-year-old daughter, and one's about to be 13. And I told him the other day, riding home, I don't remember exactly where we were riding home from, but I told him, I said, guys, I, I almost... I almost hate that you're growing up in the world that you're growing up in right now. I said, I almost hate that. I said, because it's not the world I grew up in when I was your age. And it's, it has changed so much in just a few years, and it hasn't taken long. And I don't know what it's going to be like if God tarries. And, and, and from a dad's point of view, that's fearful to me. Because I know that I can't always protect them. Matter of fact, um, I mentioned Haiti this morning, and <laughs> I had God taught me something in my last trip to Haiti. Connie went on the first one with me, but she didn't get to go on the second one. But I remember she drove me up to Hickox from our home, which is just a couple of miles, up there to the, to the main road. And the crew you saw this morning, they were coming through from Patterson with the church family. They were going to pick me up. And we were on our way to the airport. And I remember she came up there and my Uncle Tommy, I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever met him or not, but he was there. He's going with us. And it's my dad's oldest brother. And so they kind of un, kind of pile out the van, help me get my luggage, throw it in there. And I said, can we pray real quick like, before we go? And I said, I want, I want to pray that God protects my family. And I remember I said these words, and as soon as the words left my mouth, it's like God turned around and gave them right back to me. But I remember standing in Hickox across the road from the convenience store with my hand on my wife's back. My Uncle Tommy was here and the other crew, and I was praying, and I said, God... Please take care of my wife and my children while I'm gone. As soon as the words left my mouth, it was almost as if God said, who do you think takes care of them when you're here? It ain't you, you know? And I, and I, I felt about that big. I mean, it was a very humbling experience where God was reminding me, Vance, there is never a time you take care of anybody. You can't take care of yourself. And you're going to ask me to take care of your family? Well, I do it all the time. And I, was, and I was like, you know what, you're right. I, I mean, I had to tell everybody right there on the thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm at, like I'm in charge here and I'm not. And, and God is bigger than anything. And with everything going on today, although I'm concerned about my kids, I got to realize that my God is still in control. He has not relinquished his authority today. Although it looks like things are running crazy, he can end it anytime he gets ready to. And the reason the world it is the way it is today, it's not because of a lack of God's presence, it's because of the wickedness and the sinfulness of man. That's why we have a problem. Ever since we've had the fall in the garden, we've had a sin problem. It wasn't very long after they got kicked out of the garden that many years before Cain slew Abel. So there's been sin in the world from all the way back then. But God is still in control and He is, he is a faithful God. So I believe David had faith in God. More than everyone else standing there, obviously, because no one else was ready to do anything. But he, he reminded them, if you see the conversation going on here, we'll jump back just for a moment. Go back over into verse 32, where uh, it says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And again, he reminds him, uh, you are not able to go and fight this Philistine. To fight with him. He goes on down into verse 34. It says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and 
struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me. Now get it. When he was telling King Saul that he had beat the lion and the bear, he wasn't saying, I'm a marksman with my slingshot. I'm not a guy to be messed with. You don't want to get me riled up. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I've defeated the lion and the bear and defended my dad's sheep. And right here tells us where he got that strength from. He says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. In other words, David put credit where credit was due. He didn't say, I'm, I did this. He's going, no, no, I was able to do this because God took care of me. And I believe God's going to take care of me now. I don't believe for one minute that, God, that David was testing God or tempting God to kind of go out. It'd be like kind of going out and say, God's going to take care of me. I know he's going to provide for me. And then me go play in the highway. I'm probably not going to last till midnight, right? That's kind of like tempting God. I don't believe David was doing that. He was saying, this guy is, is mocking God. And somebody needs to stand up. I believe David felt that prompting in his heart that somebody needs to take a stand. And I'm going to be that guy. And I believe God will take care of me. And you know, I believe David also had that mentality, win or lose, I'm going to stand. And that's the mentality we got to get today as Christians. Listen, we face Goliath all the time. We're going to win some battles and we're going to lose some battles. But the bottom line is this, to always stand. To always stand. We fight an enemy we cannot see. And, and Paul wrote over in Ephesians 6, he said we need to make sure we have on the armor of God and we need to make sure that we're always standing and do everything to stand. Stand. We might not always, we might get knocked down sometimes, but we've always got to be standing. Standing up for the Lord. Standing for what is right. Standing against those who are going against uh, the right thing, the godly thing. This is what David was doing. And again, it's not that he had faith in himself. He had faith in God. He knew what God was capable of. And I'll tell you one of the things that I think we're good at. I think we're good, or at least I know I am, at remembering my failures. Anybody, have a, anybody ever have trouble forgetting your failures? Man, I remember those. I can be riding somewhere to preach sometimes. I, I've, I, from time to time, I get a chance to preach revivals. I've had times when I've been traveling to preach revivals and God would bring up a failure from 20 years earlier. And those things would just start weighing on my mind. And then all of a sudden I'm driving around down the road going, I have no, no business going to preach a revival. Who, who am I? I? I can't go do this. And I know it's not God because when I, got, when I asked God to forgive me, God said he removed those sins. He forgave me. If they ever come back up, it's not God that brought them back up. It's the enemy. And we reminded, we're reminded constantly of those failures. But here's David did something that we need to exercise. David looked back on past victories. He remembered that this is what God did in my life here, so I know he can do it again here. See, every time we face a Goliath, that next Goliath we face ought not to be as difficult as the last one because we ought to be constantly mindful of if God was faithful there, God is going to be faithful here. And He's going to be more faithful there. And on and on and on. We just have to exercise faith. Matter of fact, if you remember something, and I used to tell the, some of the youth that were here this morning, I, I told them this all the time at Patterson, I would constantly tell them to make sure that when they were going through a difficult time, 
And they were praying and seeking God and asking God to help them through that difficult time. And when he showed up, they needed to mark that down in their Bibles. They needed to underline that scripture that God gave them as strength and put a date out beside it. I said, because you'll be able to go back to that later when you face your next battle. And when you go back and look at that scripture, I said, that scripture and that note that you made is making you mindful that I remember what God did here. And if he did it here, he can do it there. Because see, here's the thing. It's easy to sit in God's house and say, I believe God's faithful. It's a lot harder to do that when we're facing the Goliath. It's a lot harder. When that, big, when that big problem is in front of you, when you're faced with that, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's medical. And when you're faced with those things, it's easy to feel whipped. But be mindful of what God has done. Matter of fact, Joshua over here in chapter 4, I'll read you something real quick like, I said I wanted to get into Joshua in a couple of weeks, and I'm kind of uh, hinting over toward it tonight, but this is good stuff. In Joshua chapter 4, I'm going to read you a couple of verses here. But this is after they had come into the promised land and after they had crossed the Jordan River. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. These were big stones. And so what was going on is, is they were getting ready to cross over. And I know we went from David and Goliath to Joshua for a second, the children of Israel. But as they were going into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant. When they stepped into the water, the water went... Could you imagine that? I, I, I actually think that sound took place. I don't know if it did or not, but in my mind it did. But I guess because the river was, it was like springtime, the water was out of the, the banks, it was flood stages. So I guess this side stopped and that side just flowed right on down. I mean, it had to. It just went. And so these guys walked across. And here's what God had told Joshua. He said, you get you one man out of every tribe. And you go up there and you tell them to get a stone. And there was two sets of them. But in this particular uh, situation, he said, I want you to get a stone out of the river where the water was at. You get a stone. You towed it to the other side. You set it down. And they set up 12 big stones in a memorial piled up there. He said, the reason for that is in years to come, when Joe's out walking his little boy Bobby, I don't think those are Hebrew names, but we'll go with Joe and Bobby for now. He said, As you, and when he's out walking his son, his son's going to look and say, Daddy, what are those stones for? Why are those 12 stones piled up like that? He said, then that's going to be an opportunity for, for Daddy Joe to go over there and sit down by Bobby and say, Bobby, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what he did in, the, in our lives. 20 years ago, 
this river, if you can imagine, and he would begin to explain to him that this water was stopped because the priest who bore the, who bore the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water and it flowed down. This is, these stones represent what God did in our lives. And son, just as he did a, a work that day, he's done a work in my life every day since then. You know what? He can do a work in your life too. But can I tell you, I think that's the breakdown today. I really do. I think the breakdown in our nation is simply because as, as Christians, as we're growing up, we've not passed on God to the next generation. There's a breakdown there. I mean, we look around in our churches today. We have people my age and up, but we have very few people my age and down. We've lost that generation. And so we have not passed on, but we need to be teaching our children that, look, God is faithful. And we can look back at these past victories and go, just as, just as he did something here, he can do something there. And so this is what's going on. And so when we get back over here, I went to the book of Mark. I don't know why I'm in the book of Mark. As we go back into 1 Samuel, we see here that this is what's going on. David is remind, he's re, he's mindful of what God had did in his past, just as the children of Israel there in the book of Joshua. And this is why David could face Goliath. It wasn't that David was probably a little bit fearful. The Bible doesn't tell us that he was. But I believe that even, even if he was a little fearful, he knew that God had never, ever let him down. Had never. Um, I'll give you a fine example. Uh, last, uh, well, the day I stepped off the, the truck and broke my foot, which was, um, I guess, Tuesday a week. No. Been two weeks already, hadn't it? Almost two weeks already. Wow. Anyway, the day I broke my foot, man, life was going good. We got home on Monday night. Tuesday morning, I got up and I was about my business, and, and I had the ramp laid up there on my uh, on my porch out of the back of the truck. And I'd sent my son Austin around to do something. He came back and he couldn't do it. And I said, Well, I'll tell you what. I'll run around and take a peek at it and see if I can get it done. He was, he was having trouble finding something. And I grabbed a pair of pliers off my porch, which was full of boxes, and I went over there, and I, I still don't know how i done it. I stepped down. You know, y'all are going, be careful. Yeah, I stepped down, and when I hit, my foot just rolled right up under me, and I hit the dirt. I heard a loud pop, and, 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 and so my family got me back inside, and Meg turned the fan on me. I was not like I was about to pass out. I was so hot, and my foot was already swelling. And I was, I was frustrated. Man, I was frustrated. I had, I had just started unpacking my truck two hours earlier is about all I had done. I'm sitting on, on a love seat in a place that it doesn't even go because it's just where we set it down at. So I'm sitting in the middle of my living room, and I got a fan blowing on me. My, foot, my foot's out there, and it's already swelling like crazy. I'm trying not to be sick to my stomach because I had just eat, David, right before I done that. So if you're going to break something, don't eat right before you're going to do it because that doesn't, that doesn't coincide very well. But as I'm sitting there, my, uh, they were trying to figure out how to get me to the doctor. They still had plenty of unpacking to do. And I was like, you guys don't have time to stop. Y'all got to keep unpacking because we got to get the truck turned back in. So my, my wife calls my dad and he says, I'm just getting off of work. I'll come get him and take him to the doctor. And everybody's went back outside. And my, my daughter-in-law, Olivia, is standing in there, and she's propped up, and I'm sitting there. I'm cooling off. She's like, Mr. Vance, you okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing a lot better now than I was. I said, the pain's easing off some. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm having this big pity party. Anybody ever had pity parties? Man, I was, man I, was, I was having a huge one at the moment. I was mad at myself for doing something so stupid, you know, frustrated, uh, just sitting there, and I said, man. 
I said, I ain't got time to be hurt. I said, I just ain't got time for this. I said, I got a truck to unload. I got things to do. I got to get a truck back. I'm supposed to preach Sunday. I mean, I was just going through this whole list of things that I had to be doing. And my daughter-in-law was just standing there. You know, I'm just having, I'm just losing it. I'm just fussing, you know. And I said, man, I said, I just can't believe I've done this. And she goes, uh, Mr. Vance, you know, and, you know, and, and I needed this. I said, yeah. And she goes, you know, I got to thinking about this thing. She said, uh, she said, you know, you, you traveled out to Montana and drove out there back in June a year ago. I said, yeah. And she said, you know, and then you flew back home a couple of weeks later and drove back out with me in Austin to get us there. I said, yeah. She said, you know, you've flown home and preached, then you've flown back, and then you drove home again. So basically, you've drove across the country three times couple of flights you know we've drove there and back twice and she goes you know we ain't had one wreck not one accident the truck has never broken down we've never had one minute's problem she said God's always been you know she says God's been faithful to us and he's took care of us and she says you know that's a lot to be said and you know what she was really saying is your foot really ain't that big of a deal that's what she was implying you know, she didn't say it, but that's what she was implying. And I'm sitting there, you know, kind of like thinking, okay, you know, I'm being preached to. But you know what? It's what I needed to hear. And I was sitting there and I looked up and I said, you know what? You're right. I said, you are absolutely right. I said, God is faithful. He has always been good to us. I said, we have nothing to gripe about, no reason to complain. I've got no reason to be having a pity party. I said, you're absolutely right. She goes, I just got to thinking about that. I said, you're right. I said, my foot is really a small setback in comparison to what could have been. You know, God's been good to us. And so I said all that to say this, that God is faithful. He is. Things don't exactly go the way I want them to sometimes, and there's a lot of things in life I don't understand. I, I Honestly, it's not my place, but I have times when I sit and go, God, I wish you'd explain this to me because I sure don't get it. I don't get it. But I know you're faithful, and I know you have a plan, and I know you don't owe me an explanation. And so know that tonight, whatever Goliath you're faith, facing, God's faithful. Please know that. He is, he, is, he is a very good God, and just as he was there in the past, he'll be there in the future. And I want you to notice here, uh, and I'm moving quickly, believe it or not. I, I'm not much longer. That's why I told you I'm still on point one. That's why I said this, we wouldn't get to this sermon tonight. So as we look here, though, because Saul is concerned about David, Saul tries to put him in his armor. It says here in verse, um, verse 38, says, So Saul clothed David. I'm in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. It says, So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Could you imagine what the armor of Saul must have looked like on David? The Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulders above most men. He was a big guy. He looked like a king. David's this boy, young youth, and it probably swallowed him. He probably couldn't even walk in it. And, but I want you to note here, He's telling him, he says, look, you need to put on my armor if you're going to go battle. David puts it on, he can't walk with it, and he says, look, I had not tested this. I'm not good with this. 
reminds me of uh, uh, when I go fishing with Austin, which is not that often, but from time to time he and I go fishing, and he likes the bass fish. He's actually pretty good at it, and I'm horrible at it. But he, he likes to fish with these, um, these reels, these reeling rods that have the little, I don't know what you call them, like open face, but it's got the little flip thing where you flip it and hold the string with your finger, and, and he can put that thing anywhere he wants it. And if we ever go fishing, he's like, here, Daddy, use this one. This one's a good one. And I'm looking at that thing, and this is me. I'm not good at it. I flip it, I go, and it goes out there in the tree, you know, and I'm fighting it, you know, and, and me, I'm just giving me an old Zebco, you know, that's, that's how I function, just something where everything's intact. In but I'm watching him fish with it, and, man, he's putting it anywhere he wants to, and he's pulling them in. Me, I'm, I'm hugging the trees. But the bottom line is, is he's good at it because that's what he's used to. He wants me to fish with his stuff, and I do because, well, he's just, because he's nice enough to ask me, but I'm horrible at it. You know why? Because I haven't tested it. I'm not, I haven't practiced with it. I'm terrible. I can barely do this right here with a worm and a, a cork. You know, I can barely get that where I want it, much less the fancy run and run. The thing is, too many times, I think as Christians, we try to live our Christian life wearing somebody else's armor. We can't do that. You can't live your Christian life off of my illustrations and my past experiences. You have to live your Christian life off of what God's done in your life. In other words, if I looked at you and said, hey, God did this in my life, he can do it in yours, and there's truth in that. But if you've never tested God and saw what he can do, you don't know what God can do. The best, the reason I, there are times when I'm able to convey to somebody what God's done in my life because I've experienced it. I saw what he did in my life, and I'm passionate about that. If he's done something in your life, you're passionate about it. But you're not going to know what God can do in your life unless you exercise faith and walk with God. Watch him work. And I promise you, when he works, it will leave you amazed at how awesome he is. He is a very, very awesome God. And listen, the reason you need to exercise your own face and wear your own armor, because we're all different. You and I aren't the same. That's good. That's not a bad thing. Could you imagine a life full of advances? If we were all like me, God help us. If we were all like David, God help us more. Or even more about or Ron. You know, God help us three times that, you know. So, so yeah, thumbs up from Ron right there. But the thing is, we are all different. And I got... Four little quick things I want to give you, and we're going to dismiss. But these are four things. I want to, uh, these, these came out of a, a book that I have at home written by Charles Swindoll. It's called David, a Man of Passion and Destiny. And I will leave you with four truths that I found strength in myself as I was studying a while back through this scripture again, and I will, I will give them to you. The first thing is this. Charles Swindoll says, Facing giants is an intimidating experience. And it is. David, we don't see where he was not intimidated. He didn't seem to be intimidated at all. And we'll look deeper at David next week in fighting Goliath. But he didn't seem to be intimidated at all. He walked out on that battle, battlefield with boldness and, and confidence in God. But I'm going to be the first to admit, I have faced giants in my life before that seemed really, really big. And I was very much intimidated. And so I want to encourage you today that sometimes Goliath's the storms in your life, whatever they may be, those things you're battling, they can be intimidating. It's easy for us to read this life story here of David defeating Goliath and going, man, what was those other guys thinking? But if we'd have been standing there that day, I might have been the ones up there shaking in my armor. I might not have been David out on the battlefield. I'd like to think that I would be, but I don't know. The second thing is this. Doing battle is a lonely 
experience. Sometimes when you're fighting a Goliath, you feel like you're fighting all by yourself. You're not, but you feel that way. Anybody, anybody testify to that? That sometimes it feels like that nobody understands where you're coming from. Nobody understands the battle you're fighting. I've been there. You know, when you try to tell people, you know, what's going on in your life, and they just go, and you know, they don't understand. If you've never been there, you don't know. And sometimes it's tough fighting these battles. It's kind of a, a lonely, lonely experience simply because of something I found in my life is when you do share these problems with people, they can't go fix it for you. Because when I do the most battle, you want to know when I battle the most? At nighttime in bed. See, I have a problem with shutting my brain off. I go to bed at nighttime and my mind will run as fast as it can. I'm running through issues that happened that day. I'm running through issues a week down the road. I mean, I'm stressing over stuff that I hadn't even got to yet. That's how I function. And there are nights when I have to lay in bed and go, God, please, make it stop. Stop it. I can't. And, and I'm worrying about things that may not even happen. And what it's doing is robbing me of my blessing and my joy of that moment because I'm stressing. I'm like that zebra. Y'all seen the picture with the zebra standing there and the stripes are hanging off the back because he's so stressed? Anybody seen that picture? You've got to Google that. I'm that guy. I'm that zebra. The stripes are just hanging on the ground because they're falling off. I'm that stressed. That's my life. And Connie's telling me all the time, quit stressing. You're borrowing trouble. Even God said in, in the Gospels, don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Today's got enough all by itself. Don't go borrowing, but that's what I do. The third thing is this. Trusting God. And we've said that facing giants is intimidating. It's a lonely experience. But trusting God is a stabilizing experience. Charles Wendell said, David's first stone brought down the giant. He says, if, we, if he had the jitters, we don't read about it. He had confidence in God. We need to have confidence in God. And, and doing so and trusting God, it's a stabilizing experience. And the last thing is this. Charles Wendell says, winning victories is a memorable experience. We are to remember the victories of our past. And I'll close with this quote. Max Licato said, what battles are we facing this week? And, and you may be facing something that no one knows about. Maybe only you know. But it's a battle. It's a battle. I could say it could be someone who's uh, facing surgery, someone that's in the hospital right now, maybe a job situation. It, may be, it could be anything. It could be a career move. It, it could be a, a family member across the nation that you can't get to right now, but you know they're in trouble and they need help and you're, you feel helpless. That's a, it's, a, it's a Goliath in your life. You can't beat it. But he goes on, Max Cicada goes on to say, even if it's bigger than you can handle, it's not bigger than God can handle. And so we'll stop there tonight simply because we have a lot more that would probably take us another 30 to 45 minutes. But I just felt like God had put that on my heart today. It's not, I honestly thought we'd start in Joshua. But I just know that there's a lot of things going on around us right now. And here's what I've come to realize, and I said this a month ago, and I'll say it again to remind you. We may listen to this scripture tonight and think about the glass that are being fought. We go, well, Brother Vance, I don't know of anybody in here that's going through anything. If I've learned one thing about people, I've learned this in the last 20 years, is really you only see 10% of what's going on in somebody's life. Their life is like an iceberg. If you remember me saying that, 
there's about 90% of an iceberg that you can't see because it's below the surface of the water. You only see 10%, but there's a lot more there than you're aware of. And we, we cross people's paths all the time. And sometimes we take the time to, to invest in their lives. Sometimes we don't. And oftentimes we'll walk by people and tell them, hey, how you doing? They'll go, I'm doing great. And they're not doing great. They're battling something. They're, they're being consumed by something. But nobody knows that. And what we do sometimes is we don't want to let anybody know that we're battling something because we think if we do, it's a sign of weakness. That Because I can't handle my problem. Well, I, I'm convinced that God didn't intend for us to handle our problems all by ourselves that we need Him in our lives, but sometimes we need other Christians in our lives to pray for us. We need them to know that I need you to lift me up this week. I'm struggling. This week's going to be a tough week for me. I've got to do this. Please pray for me. So you may be facing something that none of us are aware of, but I want to encourage you tonight to know that God is very much in control, and He is a big God, and He can handle whatever it is. As we said this morning, He's already there. Before you get there, he's already there. So let's pray tonight as we have our invitation. Father God, again, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. And we're thankful, Lord, that you're, Lord, that you're always present. God, and you're always here with us. And God, we do face Goliath, and we go through storms. And God, we're so thankful that you are always with us through these hard times and, Lord, in these battles that we fight. God, you've not forsaken us. You've not left us. And God, I'm convinced that the day that David stepped out to fight Goliath, Lord, your presence was, was there. And Lord, just as much as you were there that day, you're here tonight. You're in our lives. God, three days from now, when we're getting ready to go through something, Possibly, God, you're there already. You know what we're going to go through. You know what we're going to encounter. God, we can put faith in you tonight. So tonight, my prayer is that we'll quit battling whatever it is that we're battling, God, and we'll just give it to you. We'll let you fight that battle for us. And, Lord, we'll fight those battles on our knees. We'll pray. We'll ask for strength. We'll be encouraged by your love and your word. And, God, I just pray that if there is somebody here tonight, Lord, who's struggling with something or, and something they're, they're fighting against, God, it's a very real Goliath in their life. Lord, I pray that somehow you could speak it in their heart tonight and God, give them a comfort and an assurance that you've got this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time again tonight that we've had to come and study your word. We're thankful, Lord, for this invitation that we're